This is the final of three episodes that I have dedicated to WandaVision. If you haven't seen the previous two, just scroll down. They're still there. Unless you just want to, like, jump in and have us do, like, the last third of the series without any context. Throughout the show, as it was airing, people were talking about WandaVision as a meditation upon coping with trauma and dealing with grief, and also how that intersects with the history of the American sitcom, which is an interesting comparison to make, but we'll we'll, we'll get there. So we're going to be talking about that and all those other things while we go into the wrap-up of this series. My name is Ryan. This is A Real Deep Dive. Joining me on this one is Sarah, who has been on all three, and... Also, Nicole has been on the last two. Say hello. Hi. Hello. We just finished the last episode, and the immediate hot take feels. Please, let them out. Find the kids. <laughs> they find the kids. I preemptively posted a comics panel where Wanda reunites with Speed and Wiccan. I figured she would like to reflect upon that while watching the last episode, because we all knew it was going there. Yeah, I... It- I felt similarly to how I I felt when I I was reading um, Lamb by Christopher Moore, where, you know, you know how the story of Jesus Christ ends. You you know it. And yet I was still surprised and, like, upset for the main character of Lamb and, you know, watching his best friend get crucified. So, like, it was the same thing with this. We're like, I know what happens to Wanda's children. I know that Vision it spends some time without his emotions and, you know, memories, and eventually it all works out and they, you know, Nicole's solve the problem. I think she has something to say. But, yikes. Yikes a lot. It still hurt. <laughs> so, um, in a much less educated and classy take, it felt like watching Titanic. And I was hoping the boat wouldn't sink the entire time. But I know that the boat does, in fact, sink. I did read a piece about this. <laughs> Apparently, spoilers don't usually ruin someone's enjoyment of the thing. Sometimes it enhances it, because if you know where it's going, you can still just sort of study the nuances while you're along that journey. Also, That's why people still like Shakespeare. Christopher Moore is not a highly educated or classy reading material. It's it's Lamb, the gospel according to Biff, Christ's <laughs> childhood pal. Yeah. So it's not... <laughs> It's a humor book. It's not like highbrow. Christopher Moore is Discworld with somehow even more dick jokes. See, Uh, and because I know so little about this, I feel like I'm just, you know, perpetuating the point I tried to prove. Um, But this was spoiled for me. And it was spoiled badly because someone who is blood related to me, (coughs) yep, lives on the third floor of my house, didn't watch the last after credit scene. And so now I get to spoil it for her. The spoilie has become a spoiler. Before that, plots, because I'm assuming if you've clicked on this, you either already see me at shows or don't care, but are listening to this anyways. Alright, first episode we're talking about is episode 7, which is entitled Breaking the Fourth Wall. We are in a late 2000s setting structured like a mockumentary sitcom, thinking Parks and Rec, The Office... Modern family, raising hope, so on and so forth. So there's minimal lighting, there's a detached sense of dry humor to it, and cutaway interviews. Uh, the intro is patterned after The Office with the general tone closer to Modern Family because aside from Raising Hope, that's the only family sitcom that has that format, at least the most prominent ones. 
Wanda, wanting a day to herself, eagerly allows Agnes to babysit Tommy and Billy. Vision awakens in the outskirts of town and recognizes Dr. Lewis performing at a circus. He frees her from Wanda's spell, and they steal a food truck to confront Wanda. On the way, Dr. Lewis tells Vision about his history outside of Westview, including his death. Meanwhile, Wanda is shocked by individual objects in the house warping through various configurations in the time stream, and she is concerned by her inability to change them. Vision and Dr. Lewis's journey to the house keeps getting interrupted by a series of happenstances that are too convenient to be coincidental. Convinced that Wanda is manipulating probability to delay him, Vision flies off alone. Outside of Westview, Monica and Jimmy obtain a vehicle from loyal sword agents that could possibly cross the barrier. When it fails, Monica decides to cross over on her own because she really wants superpowers. She just wants them so bad. She passes through, but seems to have picked up parahuman abilities in the process. She tries to warn Wanda about sword director Tyler Hayward's designs on Vision, but Wanda doesn't believe her. They are interrupted by Agnes, who tells Monica to leave and brings Wanda into her house. Wanda heads into Agnes's basement for her kids, but stumbles into a lair with a mysterious book in the center and runes that cancel her abilities. Agnes then reveals herself as Agatha Harkness, a powerful witch who has been manipulating events in Westview the whole time, setting up the best song of the many good songs in the series. Agatha's uh, acts include, among other things, constructing a fake Pietro and killing Sparky the dog. In the mid credit sequence, Monica tries to uh, sneak into Agatha's house before getting caught by the fake Pietro. The next episode is called Previously On... In Salem, Massachusetts, 1693, Agatha is put on trial by a coven of witches led by her mother, and- Sylvan's reaction to that was so much fun, because it started off with a, oh no, and then slowly morphed into a, oh, okay, alright. And if you've listened to our Muppet Christmas Carol episode, we talked about uh, the sartorial choices being made on that are a lot more period accurate than they probably needed to be. And mutual friend who's never appeared on the show, at least as of yet, Diana, pointed out that Agatha's shoes in that trial sequence are actually on point. That is something a woman of her, of her position would be wearing in that time period. Anyways, Agatha is convicted of abusing her powers, but she uses dark magic to drain the life energy out of the coven before they can execute her. In the present day, Agatha threatens to kill Wanda's children if she doesn't explain how she's able to manipulate uh, reality in Westview. In an attempt to make her crack, Agatha frames her interrogation around forcing Wanda to relive key moments of her life, starting with Wanda and Pietro being trapped in the rubble of their home with their dead parents in an undetonated bomb. From these memories, Agatha deduces that Wanda was born with magical prowess and subconsciously used a probability hex to de uh, deactivate the bomb. Next, Wanda watches herself as she's experimented upon by Hydra and is exposed to the Mind Stone. Then, she relives her first intimate memory with the Vision at the Avengers compound. They share insights about their loneliness and grief while watching Malcolm in the middle. Vision doesn't get much to do in this episode, but his one major line is a gut punch. <sighs> I'm paraphrasing, but it's something about how grief is love persevering, which... Yeah, I've never heard it phrased quite like that before. So oh, that, that was excruciating. Especially in Paul Bettany's very gentlemanly English accent, you know, with the, that you know equal tone of just... Yeah, you know, keeping a stiff upper lip while he's talking about yes. relatable awfulness. Very keep calm and carry on, and love is grief persevering. <laughs> Ugh. 
After that, we see Wanda visiting Sword to reclaim Vision's body for burial. Director Hayward decides to dissuade her by showing her Vision's mutilated corpse, which, you know, he and the Sword agents are carving up in order to learn its technological secrets. This sends Wanda into a rage where she wrecks the lab. However, after failing to detect his presence in his body parts, she leaves alone. You leaving out, like, a key heartbreaking moment. Like, it's a one-two gut punch. Are you gonna get to it? No, 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 please do so. Okay, so at this point, she um, is standing amongst discorporated vision. She puts her hand over his head and says, I can't feel you. And yeah, it's a good point to fall apart entirely. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that. <clears throat> Thought after the grief is love persevering bit, I mean, maybe not lay it on this thing. Well, but... and, and that was after she rage busted all of the windows in the lab. So you're like, okay, she's angry. Good, 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 good. She's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And then she gets there and she's so not fine. Not and then fine. she just sort of walks out yeah. just heartbroken. Oh, Wanda. Ugh. Wanda then drives to a vacant lot in Westview that Vision had intended to build a house upon, you know, for them to live in, as man and wife. Consumed by sadness, Wanda uses her powers to create the house, and in doing so, she warps the entire community to a new reality, and then manifests a new version of the Vision. Coming out of Agatha's spell, Wanda races outside to find her children ensnared by Agatha. She mocks Wanda for not understanding the full extent of her abilities, labeling what she does as chaos magic and alluding to Wanda as a dangerous mythical figure known as the Scarlet Witch. They are now legally allowed to use that name in the MCU. (laughs) And then they spring it on you that way. In the mid credit scene, director Hayward reveals that he has siphoned away enough of Wanda's uh, hex energy to reactivate the Vision's corpse, which is now white. And as we discussed in the previous episode, white Vision means that he doesn't have his emotions anymore. And the last episode is entitled The Series Finale. Agatha Harkness attempts to steal Wanda's chaos magic, promising that she'd be better able to uh, handle it than Wanda would, which, you know, probably not wrong, but still. And she is jumped by the white Vision. He reveals to a distressed Wanda that Director Hayward has tasked him with killing her. He is then attacked by Wanda's construct of the Vision, who takes the battle elsewhere. Agatha frees the citizens of Westview from their sitcom spell, and they instantly turn on Wanda in the process. In a very, like, non-violent way, though, like, they're they're just, like, begging her to let them go or to kill them. Um, and so it's, it's very, like, heart-wrenching for Wanda, and it's torturous for her in that sense, because, you know, she isn't trying to hurt anybody in what she does, and she's not trying to be a villain, but they don't, like fire and pitchforker you know yeah they they mostly want their kids to be freed or their loved ones to never enter westview and then be succumbed to the spell and point out that whenever they're allowed to sleep they experience wanda's nightmares and wanda you know appears very very distressed by this news because she thought they were all fine and it takes secondary trauma to a whole new level Wanda eventually opens a hole in the town's barrier for them to escape through, which Hayward uses as an opportunity to sneak in with sword personnel. Meanwhile, Monica is being held captive by the fake Pietro. Uh, She figures out that he's actually an actor named Ralph Boner, and that Agatha is holding him. Yeah, even in the show, they're just like, (laughs) Boner. (laughs) 
And she Agatha is controlling him with a puka shell necklace. <laughs> because of course she is. Yeah, Monica figures it out and rips the necklace off, and that, that's how she gets to slip away. As Wanda's control of the barrier wanes, Vision, Tommy, and Billy begin to disintegrate. She then closes the barrier while overpowering Agatha with visions of the Salem witch trials, but it doesn't quite work out that way because Agatha's had a few centuries more experience with this sort of thing than Wanda does. Agatha then pressures Wanda into voluntarily giving up her magical abilities, which Wanda eventually accedes to. Or does she? Or does she? Billy and Tommy are accosted by Director Hayward, but are rescued by Monica. Hayward is then detained by Dr. Lewis, who rams his uh, truck with her funnel cake truck that she had stolen in the previous episode. And then she happily says, have fun in prison. Wanda's vision construct is battling the white vision while this is going on. However, they get into a stalemate because Wanda's vision construct brings up, hey, what about the ship of Theseus? It works. Yeah, it works, because White Vision, at least in some capacity, realizes that he's being manipulated by Hayward and is being denied access to his memories, which Wanda's vision construct eventually unlocks for him. He needs to stop and think about this for a bit, so he flies away. And that's the last we see of him in the series. Yeah, because his prime directive, as it were, is to destroy the vision. And so then, you know, when they argue back and forth about who's the real vision, and then he unlocks his memories and he's like, I am the vision. So they're almost trying to trick you into thinking he's going to go destroy himself, but they're not going to destroy him. get a good fake out, though, of his little blue forehead thing turning yellow. Oh, yellow for a hot second, but it is just one hot second. There's not that much of the Mind Stone left. As Wanda seemingly transfers her powers to Agatha, she has created runes around Westview that strip Agatha of her powers. The students become a teacher. Or at least she found out one sneaky trick to get by Agatha, who is consumed by hubris. Well, Insta- we brought in the Greek stuff. Yeah, instead of locking her away, Wanda has decided to permanently transform Agatha into her sitcom Agnes persona, and that is a very unsettling scene. Come on. <laughs> More than a few superhero movies are just usurped by the actor playing the bad guy, because the bad guy gets all the best lines. And there's no such thing as overdoing it. Yeah, no, Catherine Hahn really nails it. The family returns home as Wanda begins collapsing the barrier. She and the vision construct t- tuck their children to bed and say goodbye. Just like the scene in Titanic. Vision and Wanda go downstairs, and as the barrier begins to come onto their home to wipe it away, Vision promises that somehow they will meet again as he fades away. And Wanda stands into the empty lot. She goes through the town, getting lots of big old stink eye from the townspeople. Mm-hmm. But, but no angry mob. No yeah. angry mob. Very surprising. She does make peace with Monica, who's just like, yeah, if I had your powers, I almost definitely would bring my dead mom back. I, I can't really blame you too hard for this. I think the townspeople, to a certain extent, do actually um, understand, because they make, a, they make a comment about her grief poisoning them. So they definitely know where she's coming from. You know, as Wanda put it, does that really help? I don't think it does, but I I think it makes them sort of not see her as like a villain villain, right? She's not Thanos, she's... It gives a context for them. Yeah, she's like an accidental villain. Wanda promises that she's going to master these powers that she doesn't fully understand yet, and then immediately uh, flies off into hiding. 
In the first mid credit scene, Hayward is arrested for tampering with evidence. Monica, Monica is then contacted by a Skrull who is looking to set up a meeting with a friend of Monica's mother. This is presumably a tee-up for Captain Marvel 2 in some way. And then in the after credit scene... Wanda, while studying the Darkhold, that is the name of the book, in her uh, astral form in a remote cabin, hears her children calling for help. Because the very last scene in every Marvel thing is a cock tease. Well, and so in the comic, what is it? Her children's souls are, like, in hell, actually? She took the souls of her children from... Yeah, she took she took the souls of her children from the afterlife, either limbo or hell, depending on who's writing it, and manifested it into the children's body. Which is alluded to in WandaVision, where she says, thank you for choosing me to be your mother, because that is an odd thing to say. It is an odd thing to say, but it's also very sweet. It's an odd thing to say. My mom said that to us growing up. Thank you for choosing me to be your mom? Yeah. I guess when I was... you li- had a choice? When I was little, I told her that I chose the mommy with the curly hair. Oh, yeah. okay. All yeah, right. so maybe I'm a superhero. Is what I'm really taking away from. Gotcha, guys. gotcha. So you do yeah, have yeah. a choice. But, uh, but are you the really fast bisexual one, or are you the gay magic one? What do you think, Ryan? <laughs> you talk really fast. I do talk really fast. <laughs> so what do you think, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to bail you out by moving on to the next subject? I am, please. Okay. Thank you. All right, let's go into the background of some of the supporting characters, their comics origins that I haven't discussed. First off, Monica Rambeau, because we're going to be hearing more from her later, almost definitely. She was created by Roger Stern and John Romita Jr. in Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 16. She is the second character in the Marvel Universe to be called Captain Marvel, and maybe the fourth or fifth overall, depending on how you rank these things. She gained the ability to transform her body into sentient energy after being bombarded with extra-dimensional energy, which is sort of also done to the MCU. Uh, in addition to Captain Marvel, she has also used the code names Photon, Pulsar, and Spectrum. Uh, they, I think they're going to start calling her Photon because that is the name of her mother's plane in Captain Marvel. Right, yes. She has occasionally been teased by her names. One character said, oh, not the mighty Photon. I better not mess with her or she'll bounce off me unnoticeably. <laughs> uh, she's had a stint uh, in the Avengers. She's led the team at some point, And she was also in Next Wave. Which... Everyone's led the Avengers at some point. Yep. I did once. Yeah, but only, only Monica Rambeau has led Next Wave. I would be delighted if a Next Wave movie happened, although uh, probably not for a while. I don't know anything about Next Wave. There are a bunch of random characters that nobody was using at the time who went off on wacky nonsense, even by comic standards missions. It's a delightful series. Moving on, Jimmy Woo. Oh, Jimmy Woo. Oh, Randall so Park. <laughs> oh, yes. Asian Jim. Asian Jim. I really was hoping that in the, you know, like 2000s mockumentary, what he was going to be inside the bubble, because for those of your listeners who aren't Office fans, there is a fantastic episode of The Office where Jim pranks Dwight by hiring an actor friend to pretend to be him for the day and they like go all out they get like a family picture with randall park in it instead and like he like kisses his wife pam at the office and like he's like you know i applaud you dwight for not seeing color but you know we've worked together for like 13 years (laughs) like it's 
delightful. So when he showed up in Ant-Man, I was like, oh, it's Asian Jim, because that was all I had ever seen him in before. So I just see him as Asian Jim, and so I was really hoping they were going to make some kind of nod to that in the, you know, mockumentary episode, but he wasn't inside the the hex. And they had the opening credits in the style of The Office, so I thought you were going to get what you were wishing for. I know, but he wasn't in the hex. Oh, well, missed opportunities. Jimmy Woo was created by Al Feldstein and Joe M- uh, Manili in a comic entitled The Yellow Claw, number one, in 1956. That? Wow. Now, uh, Jimmy Woo was an FBI agent tasked with battling the Yellow Peril villain of the comic's title, an obvious Food Manchu knockoff. Yeah, uh, the Yellow Claw is the only Yellow Peril villain where the guy fighting him is also Asian. Okay. So, progressive by 1956 standards. Hmm. Jimmy Woo became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in 1968 after helping Nick Fury defeat the Yellow Claw, who turned out to be a robot controlled by Doctor Doom. Of course he was. In a 1978 issue of What If, Jimmy Woo is depicted as the leader of a super team composed of Marvel's 1950s characters. Jeff Parker and Leonard Kirk revived the concept with 2006's Agents of Atlas miniseries, and I knew... They weren't going to have any other Agents of Atlas show up on WandaVision, but I'm still a little disappointed that Ken Hale, the Gorilla Man, didn't just, like, show up and high-five Jimmy Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe down the road. I mean, they had the budget, obviously. (laughs) All right, and then finally, Agatha Harkness. Agatha Harkness was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby in Fantastic Four number 94 in 1970. She was the governess of Franklin Richards, the son of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl, Invisible Woman later, using her magical abilities to guard the boy from the Fantastic Four's rogues gallery. Later on, she became the Scarlet Witch's tutor in magic, and she was present when Wanda's children were removed from reality. She was killed by Wanda during Avengers Disassembled, uh, but she gets resurrected a lot, even by the standards of a superhero universe. Last time I saw her was in a Scarlet Witch uh, solo book where Scarlet Witch goes around like solving magical crimes and the ghost of Agatha Harkness is just sort of her sidekick slash heckler. Oh! That sounds lovely. That sounds great! Agatha Harkness is quite different in the comics than she is in her MCU incarnation. Like, she's not a bad guy. Like, not even a little bit. Like, this is basically a different character. Next category, I have entitled What Next? Because Marvel never ends. It just keeps going on and on forever. There's money to be made. There is money to be made. So, The Darkhold, which now that uh, the Infinity Stones aren't really as much of a MacGuffin anymore, there's a good chance The Darkhold is going to be the MacGuffin for a little while. In the comics, The Darkhold is a grimoire that often serves as as a MacGuffin in the Marvel Magical Comics. It first appeared in Marvel Spotlight number 4 in 1972 in a story by Jerry Conway and Mike Plug. The Darkhold is responsible for the existence of werewolves and vampires in the Marvel Universe, and it directly cursed the bloodline of Marvel's... So, are we talking about Blade? Blade is involved. It directly cursed the bloodline of Marvel's resident werewolf superhero, who's named Jack Russell. Uh, is he a terrier? <laughs> the creative team responsible have insisted that they did not pick that <laughs> name on purpose. Sure. Oh yes, Blade has been mixed up in Darkhold nonsense. Also, Conan, Red Sonja, Moon Knight, Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, Dracula, Morgan Le Fay, Doctor Doom, Mephisto, and Howard the Duck have all had Darkhold-related adventures. Uh, Yeah, Wanda and, in all likelihood, the Darkhold are set to appear in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Not sure what that's going to be like. It sounds bonkers. I'm wondering if Wanda is going to be a villainy type or not. 
Some people have implied that she might be going full Avengers disassembled dark phoenix crazy bitch, but that doesn't seem to be where she's going at the end of WandaVision. Mentally, she's not, but she also looked really fucked up in that cabin dealing with the dark holds and, you know, a mother trying to rescue her children can be pushed to do a lot of things. And that would be a compelling bad guy motive. It would. And it would be probably the first compelling bad guy motive that the Marvel Universe is, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has given. If done right, that complexity can be great. If done poorly, that could look like really cheap misogyny. More on that later. And yeah, Monica is almost certainly showing up in Captain Marvel 2. But, uh... We also seem to be queuing up a uh, Young Avengers series, or, or a movie possibly, because Tommy and Billy in, are in this, and it's strongly implied that they're coming back as Speed or Wiccan. They wouldn't have given them powers and, sp and spent so much time on them, just to sort of cut them off and leave that on the table. We already have it confirmed that Kate Bishop is going to be in the upcoming Hawkeye series, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised in the least if Patriot becomes a supporting character in the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Okay, themes... First thing I want to talk about is grief. I was going to say, are we, are we going over any other themes besides grief? There are, that's kind of the, the theme. Motherhood, the, family. This is, yeah, this is something about how, you know, grief is something that... Motherhood forged in grief, yes. <laughs> Good job, Sylvan. Yeah, grief has been a fixture in human storytelling since Gilgamesh, so the oldest known story that we have. Oh. It is one of the core shared human experiences. It is something that every person experiences in some form, and it is something that they carry with them for the rest of their life. And damn, that line. Yeah. <laughs> because I update that uh, poetry webcomic, I have read a lot of Requiems, a lot of mournful dirges. I have gone over a number of people expressing grief in its various manifestations, and yeah, that one still stands out. It's a well-written line. Mm. Next thing, retreating into the sitcom, because I do think that WandaVision, possibly unintentionally, but I'm, I'm going to give him credit for this, is sort of building parallels as to what the appeal is of the network sitcom and how that uh, also ties into just superhero comics in general. You know, the uh, tight, strict formula being a comfort. There is a structure and a point Real life is messy, but the status quo is restored at the end of every 22-minute uh, episode of a TV show. And I think there's a lot of that with the superhero comics as well. No matter how far they stray, they always sort of go back to a recognizable iteration of the characters. Very few status quo changes remain permanent. One thing that I think is interesting about the MCU that they have never really done with the superhero comics is that when the actors age out of the role, so far they haven't like cast a new person to play that person. They just either kill them or have them retire and have new characters show up, as opposed to, you know... In the comic book, when Hal Jordan can't be Green Lantern anymore, and they find this new guy, Kyle Rayner, to be Green Lantern, eventually Hal comes back, and you're like, well, what are you going to do with Kyle? And some people are like, I don't know. In <laughs> <laughs> this one, Kyle gets to just be Kyle, because Hal's done, because nobody wants to play the Hal again anymore, because that actor did a good job. Provided, you know, we live in a universe where that Green Lantern movie worked. I think that, you know, in media that's consumed and the audiences that consume it these days, we crave a little more realism in even in our superheroes. So, yeah, like, of course, Iron Man is Robert Downey Jr. And let Tony Stark get old. Why not? 
they did that with Star Trek most recently. I think and it's no, been working out pretty well. I think no matter how fantastical the story is, it has to be grounded in something you relate to, or else you can't connect to it. Mm-hmm. Like your story could be about unicorns on Mars who shoot beams out of their la- uh, out of their horns, but oh, if you. Uh, if there isn't a part of that that you see yourself in, then that unicorn story ain't going to work. Mm. On the other hand, if you do ground it in, in, in feelings that are relatable to the human condition, your unicorn on Mars story can make people cry. Speaking of old comic book characters and their movies, uh, we'll have to show you Logan sometime if you really want to cry. <laughs> Logan is just really well done. Uh, one th- other thing I think about uh, network sitcoms that appeals to people that WandaVision captured rather nicely, at least by my opinion, is that for the most part, a lot of the sitcoms, even the ones that I really like, I don't really like laugh out loud at them too often. After a while, the appeal isn't so much uh, the, the humor, it's just that if you watch enough reruns and it becomes a fixture in your day after you get out of work or school or whatever, those characters just sort of glom themselves onto you and they begin to feel like old friends. So when you watch the next episode, it, it, it's more like you're checking in on them. It's a comfort watch. It's yeah. A and a lot of superhero comics also do that. Uh, Chris Claremont, during his 15-year X-Men tenure, the artist kept complaining that he wouldn't write fight scenes, that he had to, they had to twist his arm into doing it, because he just wanted the characters hanging around and living their lives. And, oh, it's a superhero comic. I guess they have to fight a robot or something. Just Aww. squeeze that in in the end. And I think that's a big part of why so many people just bonded with the X-Men, because... Claremont approached them as characters that occasionally fight robots and not, you know, let's have this big robot fight. Right. The next thing I wanted to bring up is Wanda's power levels. Because when she was introduced in uh, the early 1960s, she was the token female character with passive abilities, similar to uh, the Invisible Girl and Marvel Girl. The Invisible Girl was called the Invisible Girl until... 20 years after she had her first child, then she got to be the Invisible Woman. Uh, Yeah, the first time that Wanda began breaking out of her, I'm going to be the pretty person, and then I'm going to point at that guy and it'll trip over, was in a story written by Roy Thomas and illustrated by John Buscema in Avengers 83 in 1970 called The Lady Liberators. The plot involved uh, Amora the Enchantress beguiling the female Avengers into attacking the male members of the team, and eventually Scarlet Witch susses it out and defeats Amora. The issue was meant to satirize second wave feminism as an extremist movement that would destroy patriarchy, and that's a bad thing. And it, it, parts of it haven't aged super well. <laughs> I can't see why that would be. Yeah, this, the last scene is Hank Pym lecturing the woman about how the extremism behind the feminist agenda will undermine the American spirit, only be reprimanded by Wanda, saying that, hey, you keep that shit up, the Lady Liberator's gonna have to come up for real. Wait, Wanda. Wanda shut down a mansplainer. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But yeah, this is written in 1970 by, you know, a fairly progressive dude who meant well, but was putting his foot in his mouth on occasion. And in the comic book industry, which in the mainstream, like superhero stuff, is still pretty male dominated and was more or less male exclusive during the time period. And boy, does that issue feel like it. But it sort of set things rolling in motion. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Steve Englehart inherited the Avengers from Roy Thomas and one of his 
creative decisions was to make Wanda progressively more assertive as it went along and also wanting a life outside of the team, marrying Vision, settling down, having children. He uh, made her abilities more focused on magic than on mutant probability hexes. And Englehart has, when asked about WandaVision, asserted that he was very, very disappointed in the storylines where Wanda was stripped of her children and driven insane. And he doesn't like it when Wanda is treated like a crazy bitch supervillain who is... He also feels that that is a little uh, patronizing to people with mental health issues. Yeah, Wanda and trauma histories. Wanda gets dicked around a lot in pretty much everything that she's in. It's It'll be really nice to see her uh, in the MCU sort of fix it. Engelhart, once again, he asserted that maybe Wanda would get a better shake if they actually started letting women write her every now and again. Because he did the best he could, but you know, he does. There, there are some elements that he just can't personally understand. And hey, and the first time that uh, the Scarlet Witch got a major storyline written by a woman was WandaVision, written by Jack Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be the first time I've ever really given that much of a crap about the Scarlet Witch. So, hey, well good, done. Good, good prediction there. Mm. Well. I was thinking about whining about whether or not Magneto is Scarlet Witch's dad, but I don't want to get into that. So is there anything else that uh, we'd like to talk about WandaVision before we close things out? The status of Pietro, I like how they sort of made that very clear that they didn't really open up alternate timelines because he was just being manipulated by... Uh, he was he was the Ralph that she was always talking about, and um, he was the one that she was manipulating. Mm. But it is a little disappointing that we don't get to see a new Pietro. Yeah, I mean, multiverse stuff is happening. I'm fine with Pietro being a red herring. One of the reactions to WandaVision was people being disappointed by things that the show never promised, but they sort of expected. You were like, hey, is Agatha's bunny going to turn out to be Mephisto? <laughs> I really wanted the bunny to be important for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, bunny's just are familiar. It's unfortunate. Unless in the Doctor Strange movie, the bunny turns out to, to be, be Mephisto. Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> Mephisto's coming. I, I care about this for some reason. <laughs> I'm invested somehow. I never liked Mephisto in the comics, but now it's important to me. Okay, uh, anything else? Any 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 parting words before we sign off? Yeah. All right. Good night, everybody. See you next time. Hi, this is Ryan in the future delivering a postscript. After recording this episode, I stumbled across the fact that they actually did shoot a scene where. Agatha's bunny manifests as a demon. This is implied because the bunny's name is Senior Scratchy, and Old Scratch is a name for Satan. This is possibly Mephisto, possibly not. I know the scene was cut for time reasons more than anything else, so might not be directly related to Doctor Strange or whatever happens in that. I'm largely bringing this up because if I don't mention it somewhere, I think a bunch of people are going to get all up on that in the comments. So there you go.